Welcome to the WattPod, a journey into the world of the most exciting clean tech startups, powering the energy transition and our carbon-free future. We will learn about the journeys of these companies and their founders, their backgrounds, the hurdles they face, those they have overcome, as well as the breakthrough innovations they are delivering. We will also explore what investors and innovators are looking for as we head towards a cleaner, more distributed, more flexible energy system. What innovations and investments are required to ensure access to cheap, reliable, and responsible energy? Our guests bring a range of expertise and insights that will help us understand what developments are taking place. I look forward to our discussions with them and this journey with you. Today, we welcome Leroy Nyangani, co-founder and team lead from Need Energy. Leroy, you're joining us from Zimbabwe. Thank you so much for coming on the WattPod. Yeah, thank you. Uh, likewise, it's my pleasure to finally be on my favorite podcast. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for your support. Um, obviously, we've been in touch yeah. for quite a, quite a while now, and I've um, been really inspired by what you're, you're building at at Need Energy and the great mission behind um, behind the, the company as well. Perhaps you could give us an intro to, to yourself and to the business also. I'm the co-founder and the team lead at Need Energy. Um, my background is in chemical engineering, uh, like the academic side. Uh, that's how I ended up building an energy startup because I have a passion in energy. Uh, pretty much when I was growing up, I grew up most like half of my life in rural Zimbabwe. So we really did not have access to energy or power. So for me, when we say 600 million people do not have access to power, it's not just a statistic, it's an experience. So that is how I ended up here. So at Neat Energy, we are scaling microgrids uh, through the use of machine learning and AI. Uh, our big area goal is to have at least 200 million people having access to clean power and energy through our platform and technology in the next, in the next 15 years. Yeah, it's a really inspiring um, vision that you've got for Need as well. And what I found so unique about your, your solution is the application of, of, of data and analytics in an area that it hasn't really been applied before as well. What have been some of the challenges with that, obviously, things like machine learning require a lot of input of data, um, something we've worked on together a little bit, but how, um, how, have you found, how have you found out what are the challenges that you faced? Challenges in Africa in general is there's no, there's no that much data, right? Uh, there are no smart meters, uh, there are no statistical meters where, you know, there's a database you can go to and start collecting that data. So that on its own, it's like the, the, the hurdle, uh, especially for product development, right? So, I mean, one of our early duties, like I usually call it our data work at Need Energy is to make sure that we plug IoT smart meters to collect that data so that we get to a point where we can really use our machine learning and our predictive analytics. Uh, so that one, that one has been one of the biggest challenges. And well, the dev team uh, being led by, Leo, uh, by Delroy, who's our technology lead, they're trying by all means, uh, also with the help from the guys at NVIDIA, to come up with models that use as little much data as possible 
to come up with precise uh, models that can at least be useful earlier on because it will get better with time, but earlier on, we still need to shift the product to the market and add value. So Dome has been building around that to say, how do we utilize this little data for value? So that has been one of our biggest challenges really in terms of product development. And can you tell us how you use this, this data? So is it telling you where PV systems should be placed? Is it telling you how battery systems could operate in in response to intermittent renewables, what what's the data being used for? Uh, so, I mean, before I even answer that, I think our whole goal or our whole plan is to consolidate deployment, uh, monitoring, and operations, so energy trading all in one platform, right? So, you know, the first part of that the deployment is uh, we need to predict, you know, by just looking. At, your, at the size of your building, probably using computer vision from satellite imagery, we could at least estimate the amount of energy that you need, right? And probably through collection of little samples like your monthly bills, uh, we can improve our models to literally the amount of, of power that you need. If you are lucky, we can come up with our IoT smart meters plug in there and work within your timeline. So if your timeline is in two years, you want to put in your energy assets, I think we'd have collected enough data to really come up with an energy profile for you. So I think that is probably what we had done uh, with Puma Energy, uh, going back to our history. So yes, that is how we definitely use that. Then once we deploy, uh, we also came to a point where and pretty much how we came up with these models, we're quite fortunate. We used data from the University of Cape Town. Uh, they data from electrical smart, electrical statistical meters from ESCOM. So we had over 15,000 households that we had to work with, with over 90 million data points. So that is where we developed most of our models and we're extrapolating those models as per region, like as if you're in Zimbabwe, if you're in South Africa, if you're in Zambia, or if you're in Angola. So pretty much that is how we've been using uh, the predictive analytics platform to come up with estimates or energy profiles for end users. And when you talk about end users, what type of end users are you talking about? Are these CNI customers, so commercial industrial customers? Are you talking about residential customers? Who's Who's finding the need for, like, who has the problem that you're trying to solve? All right, so pretty much we are targeting your microgrid operators or the energy developers, the guys who go ahead and deploy those assets on top of your roof. So when they are planning to come up with a solution for you, that's like one of their biggest hurdles. Um, so that is where we are actually handy uh, for them. So those are the guys that we've been working with. Uh, also, we do have uh, a, a, another product, pretty much for your residents, which is more on the clean cooking. So we are digitalizing the assets that help them with clean cooking, uh, where, we, where we've been plugging smart meters and controlling things like delivery, inventory, and payment integration so that they can pay as you go. Right. So those is, those have been our early stages for residents, but our initial clients 
are your EPCs, your micro operators, and, 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 and the developers. And I think as we go ahead with the podcast, I think I have some good news uh, with our, our recent partnership in South Africa. Can you, um, can you tell us a little bit more about that partnership? Yeah, so I think last week, two weeks back, I was in South Africa, so I was working out of uh, Joburg. Uh, and these guys that I, I, I met for over two years now, uh, we've been LinkedIn buddies. Uh, so now these guys are now the fifth largest EPC in South Africa, and they are scaling microgrids for commercial and industrial clients, agriculture and industry, and they're in seven countries. So they really have that reach in terms of markets. So they'll be using our platform really for their operations and maintenance uh, on the predictive side of things. And also we intend to help them scale their microgrids and also on the rest and side of things where they want to manage their, their solar assets that they also deploy for residents. Uh, I think clean cooking will help them a lot because South Africa is experiencing a lot of load shedding, even worse than what we're experiencing in Zimbabwe right now. Uh, I was there, uh, I think we would have three times load shedding a day. So it's quite hectic right now that side. So yeah, we, we are partnering with these guys. They are called New Home App or Nouveau Energy. Um, one of the big goals that we want to do in South Africa is to build South Africa's first virtual power plants and uh, virtual microgrids with them. So we are quite excited. They do have the portfolio in terms of assets. Uh, they're in seven countries uh, and they're now the fifth biggest APC. So we hope to grow with them uh, in that market. And pretty much they are targeting end users that would bring a lot more value to us. So that data question that I was talking to you about, I think we've found a solution of solving that because now they have that asset base, they have that database that we definitely can work with. It becomes way, way easier and manageable in terms of our productive. Now, Africa is a bit of a tricky market because obviously it's, it's quite, quite different to a lot of other markets as in there's a lot of regulation still. There hasn't been that phase of deregulation. There's a lot of centralized buying um, through national utilities. Power generation hasn't been freed up for private investment. There's also other difficulties around actually attracting FDI as well into those projects. Um, how are you navigating that space as is need energy as a local company? I mean, as a tech, as a tech company, usually in Zoom, we let the guys that are developing the projects uh, face the music. But obviously, if they don't, they are not successful due to regulations, it also impacts us uh, negatively. But I'm quite happy with us getting into the South African market. Uh, I think there's a lot of deregulation going on in that market. Uh, they announced this year that you don't even need a license if you are generating anything below 100 megawatts, right? So they've removed all licensing. Uh, and also there have been a lot of, you know, IPPs signing, signing power purchase agreements with independent corporates, like yeah, the story with Amazon and recently what Solar Group has done with the big mining corporation where they build a solar farm, some other place, they will through the infrastructure that the utility controls uh, to their end users. So all these actually, I think are positive things that are happening in that market. And definitely 
I think we'll get to a point where peer-to-peer trading of, of power in Africa will be way ahead than Europe, right? I'm, I'm clear that I'm saying this, you know, like we will get ahead of that curve before the Europeans get there. <laughs> yeah, so I think, yeah, it's a Wild West uh, kind of market, but also the advantage is we can sometimes jump ahead of like the innovation curve because uh, there is that need. Uh, and definitely we, yeah, South Africa is a good example of, of, of how things would go in the future. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's a repetitive analogy, but there's always the one with telecommunications and the, the whole skipping ahead to, to phones. So maybe people that aren't as familiar with how the African landscape lies, you could you could explain that a little bit more in your in your own words when you're talking about skipping ahead. Yeah, so I think pretty much we pride ourselves as that startup that is managed to find a way of operating at the edge, right? So most companies really want to have that fluidity in terms of their product when they are operating at the edge. But the issue is it's quite different. Like if you are in Europe, we're more mature market, connectivity is actually there. So most startups are innovating in an environment where I'll say it's a controlled environment. Right. So when you come down in Africa, uh, you plug your microbit like in rural Africa, 700 kilometers away from the capital city. Uh, there's limited connectivity and you are only stuck with few options, right? So all our IoT devices that we've been deployed, we've been strong on how we would, would utilize the strength of GSM, right? So be it the most remotest area in Africa, right? We make sure that we can streamline your data or we can capture your data through those networks. And you know how often we give you that data package or whenever we send it back to you for any insight, right? We've actually put periods at which we actually do that so that you know even if you start your day, you already have insights on how your plant would definitely operate and you can trust those insights. Right? That probably come in the morning Wave after 24 hours. So, I mean, our experience in Africa has given us that strength. You know, it, it's, it's not a perfect condition to work or build a product, but it has given us an advantage, right? So, <laughs> I usually say if there's anyone who's going to, to control a microbit in the moon, let's say Elon Musk goes to the moon and, and, and Mars, they set up microbits there, where connectivity is a real issue and the lake is what, eight to 12 minutes? I think Nitenage already knows and understand, uh, understand working in such kind of environments, right? So that is one of our strengths. Like we are actually quite good at the edge, right? So it also comes back to what we are trying to do in the Australian markets with the proof of concept with over 2,000 smart meters that are at, uh, that are at the edge. Tell us a little bit about, about your journey with Need Energy. We heard a little bit about your background and, and your introduction to the energy transition, what Need Energy is doing. What about you? Like, how's your journey been? This isn't your first startup either. You're a natural entrepreneur, obviously. Yeah, so I, I think I'll get, get you back to my freshman years uh, in university. Uh, I think my first trial uh, I, I, I ran one of the most successful beggar stores for lunchtime on demand stores. So I used to cook beggars and, and lunch our meals uh, for students at our university. 
Uh, and one way actually where you could order, I mean, you could get it from your office. I, I know there's Uber Eats, people really order online now, but then in 2015, actually running such kind of processes at the back end and making sure that people get their food was pretty much hard. Uh, I was simply running it on WhatsApp. Then I tried an application. Uh, yeah, so I think that was quite successful. Uh, that is where I had my first experiences and my first failures. Uh, I think one of my mistakes was actually pricing. I think most of startups talk about pricing, you know, when you're introducing a product in the market. You have to understand the pricing that you... Pricing is a key issue for any startup, be it you are in software, hardware, in anything. You, you just have to get your pricing right. So that was my first lesson in pricing because uh, I tried to build, like, you know, offer students a high-value meal at the local prices compared to my other competitors. It actually it was actually not so much of a good experience, but I ended up exiting uh, that business. That is where the idea of Neat Energy actually also came through. I mean, uh, when we were cooking, uh, we used gas a lot. I think for eating and cooking, LPG gas is what's used pretty much here in Zim. Gas would run out. So I would go to town, you know, trying to refill uh, that cylinder and it, you know, it will take away 40 minutes of my time and there was a serious lake in downtime in our operations. So that is when I really decided, what if we build a mobile application that people could order gas on demand? That was like the idea that started all need energy. So I can say really, and our trial process, I think we had 300 orders on that application uh, uh, from, from clients ordering gas on demand. So it was all like a trickle-down effect, like to say, you know, I started a, a food store company that ended up with energy to where we are. So that has been my early stage entrepreneurial journey. Uh, but after, after college, I went straight into project development. I, I, I tried to run in developing a 50 mega solar farm. Uh, that is actually where I found most of my, of my experience to say, you know, technology could improve. I think the issue with African accelerating deployment, it's not an issue of saying the hardware is not yet good enough, or it's not yet there. I think solar panels have been de developed enough, battery storage works, uh, but the issue in Zimbabwe or any other place in Africa is how to accelerate deployment. But I experienced trying to develop a 50 mega solar farm for two years just to get to licensing. And most of the things that we needed to get right was, was to come up with energy profiles, uh, come up with the base site for our solar farm, come up with, you know, getting, getting approvals in terms of your grid impact assessments uh, and, and, and grid integration. I think all that is stuff that could be done by a click of a button. That is why we decided to say, you know what, let's just build technology that will help accelerate the deployment of these assets. That was actually a good experience because I was working with companies like Man Energy, Man Energy Solutions and Watsila. Right? Those are like one of the biggest EPC companies even in the world today. But still, they were bogged down with me uh, with the same problems of saying, how can we quickly do that? So that is how we ended up being uh, here at, at NEAT doing what we're doing today. 
Very clear. Great to hear about a little bit about your journey. And tell us about your future plans with Need Energy then. Well, it's quite exciting. Uh, I think my journey to Berlin was actually insightful, uh, right? So the goal is still the same. I mean, we want to see over 200 million people getting access to power through our platform in 15 years, right? And but where would we develop our product? You know, one of our biggest problems, you know, apart from the data issue that we talked about was skills, uh, expertise and talent, uh, right? And also resources. Uh, and we felt, you know, markets like developing your product out of markets like uh, Europe, Germany, especially Berlin, which is uh, after Brexit is now the capital city for startups in Europe will be a, a, a great move. So I think one of our ideas in the next coming 12 months is to set up our R&D and product dev HQ out of Berlin. That's exciting. I mean, great for, um, for you to have the opportunity to go there and see what what else can, you know, can benefit Need Energy in their important journey. Um, just wanted to, to talk, maybe because we touched on it just slightly there, but about fundraising. So... How's like I mean you you have revenue as need need energy. Tell us about support that you've got and 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 your requirements for for fundraising and your experience with that as well. I, I, I think fundraising has been one of my biggest headache uh, for the year. Uh, I think in Africa, fintech is not as sexy as as fintech, but in a way, but you look fintech architect in Africa. Those are the sexy markets. Uh, and also our market being in Zim, uh, you know, it's somehow a red flag. That is why we actually want to get out to South Africa and 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 and, and then you know launch out of there. But I, I've had some good conversations and uh, with uh, funders like Cut uh, that have helped us even, you know, better. Uh, you know, send through our message. I think I have talked to Launch Africa. Uh, I'm confident probably Q1 2023, that is when we are going to close our round. But yeah, it has been hard. Uh, you know, being in Zimbabwe and being in Tech, it has been quite hard. That is also this idea of saying, you know, how can we get local money participating in, 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 in energy, which could be a strategy that will allow us to unlock some local money uh, to grow our business locally and at least to bring that confidence to extend our investors. But yeah, I, I got like one of the biggest supports uh, probably through Startup Bootcamp. Uh, also, I think I'll just say that you've also supported us quite well. Uh, your introduction to Google. Uh, good news is we'll start working with Google. Uh, we, are part, we made part of their cohort for the SDG advisor, for their SDG advisory team uh, so we'll be getting a lot of resources and 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 help in terms of building our product so i think we are doing everything quite well i think we are just missing that one touch for us to close that fundraising we understand our problems and we are trying to work hard around that to at least close that round that's great and Maybe just before we start wrapping up, I wanted to get your input as well around um, accelerators and things for startups such as 
as need energy. What have you found useful through through some of those programs? I know you've done a couple. Um, you know, for anyone listening that might be involved in that space, what? How do you think those sort of things could be designed better to to support um, to startups as well? Yeah, I, I know it's, it's a the case of two things here for me. I I I think being in an accelerator that is actually global or that is in a mature market, it helps you profile yourselves quite better, right? And maybe the introductions. Uh, for example, our work with Startup Bootcamp, I, I think they've done a lot to actually give us access to one of the biggest resources uh, in terms of the 2,000 smart meters that we are working with near proof of concept in Australia. I think we wouldn't get that anywhere else, even if it was a, an African accelerator, we wouldn't just get that kind of resource. So I think it allows you to set up in better markets. You know, you can get registered in Australia, your pitch becomes better, the way you sell your products really becomes better and the quality of people that bring insights and advice to you is top tier. But that one hurdle is if they are not in your market, when you're at a point where you are trying to fundraise, it becomes very, very hard for them to convince the investors or the VCs that they usually work with in their markets to say, invest in that startup, they work out of Africa. You know, that really is hard. So I, I think collaborations with more VCs that are in Africa that also have a focus in energy will be quite ideal for these accelerators that we are into. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, they've made us a better startup in terms of how we package ourselves going forward. And the advice is really being top time. Um, I think just really important for a lot of entrepreneurs that there are, you know, I think there's a range of, of accelerators that can take up a lot of your time and, and you do need to sort of choose the, the good ones, I would I would suggest. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, we really need to choose uh, an accelerator that is in your market that you're interested in. And also you have to understand that they do have experience in that market, right? So experience in that market is really quite crucial because if they do have experience in networks in that market, they'll definitely open doors for you. Leroy, we're going to jump into the WhatsApp section now. So just three quick um, questions and three rapid responses from your side. So the first one I think is really aligned with what you do. Who stands to gain the most from the energy transition? From where we are, uh, how I see it, like first principles, I'm more of a physics student, is any civilization gets better with the amount of energy that they consume. It's the Kardashev scale, right? Africa is a place where it's identified with uh, a lot of poverty, things to do with minimum healthcare, things to do with access. But if ever we are going to catch up with these big economies in terms of technology and advancement, I think we will gain more, right? So this is an opportunity for us really to say, this energy transition is an opportunity for all to be at par in terms of the amount of energy that they consume and how clean and how impactful it is. So I think Africa will get to gain more uh, from this uh, evolution or revolution you may call it, uh, 
and yeah, I, I really want to be part of it. One way or another, I really want to be part of it because from how I see it, that's the opportunity for us. Second question I pose, what makes a good entrepreneur? If I was in Silicon Valley, I would, you know, probably, uh, you say maybe failure would make a, an entrepreneur better and better. Yes, we do experience our failures, but, you know, we don't also get as many opportunities to get up again, especially in Africa. So you really may have to make it work on your first time or on your second time. You don't get so many chances. So you have to be patient, persistent, uh, and have that self-belief that it's definitely going to happen. I think those are three things that you would need because emotionally it really gets tiring. I think if you believe that you are patient, you are persistent, and you really need this, uh, you get through. But beyond that, you need a strong sound system to say, I have all these qualities and character characteristics. But for me to get there, you really also need a strong support system. And I think I've been fortunate enough to get that strong support system earlier on that for, every, for everyone who's been part of Need Energy. Well summarized. The final question I've got for you is if you weren't powering the energy transition, what would you be doing? I'm building a space, a space company. <laughs> a space company. Never yeah, showing the ambition there, right? Ah, like I said, uh, I believe in the type one civilization. I believe that humankind will be quite interplanetary, right? Uh for also self-preservation, right? I understand that we need to preserve Mother Earth. We need to do a lot in terms of impact reducing carbon emissions, but also we really need to be an interplanetary space, species. Uh, it's inevitable that we'll get there, right? Uh, physics actually brings good empirical evidence to see what NASA is doing, what SpaceX is doing. And I definitely wanna be part of that. Uh, I'll definitely build a space company that also would build energy solutions in those colonies at Mar in, in Mars uh, or on the moon. <laughs> and usually I have a name at the back of my mind. It's called Aid to Space. I usually like test Delroy about it to say, you know, let's say we exit need energy. I think we should really go for it. So that's one thing definitely I would be building. That's a really exciting proposition, Leroy. <laughs> let's get need, let's get need energy as a you know, as a, as a um, fledgling powerhouse in the African uh, energy markets and globally, and then we'll move on to um, to space tech. Yeah, definitely. Hey, Leroy, it's been awesome chatting with you. Thank you so much for for joining the WattPod, and I'm um, I'm so glad that we could have you on as a guest. Which finally, I'm on WattPod. I mean, like, I love I love this podcast, uh, and also I've loved. Uh, um, I've loved the case that you've brought in. So when I was in Berlin, I actually met uh, uh, the guy who leads Octopus in, in, in Germany. Like I was telling that you really need to listen to what code. One of your guys was actually uh, on one of the shows. So you see like how quite interesting and global what code really is during its early stage. So it was quite interesting to tell people in Berlin about what code. And how That's interesting great. it is. It's like one of my best pop the energy space. I really appreciate that, Leroy. Thank you. You're welcome, man. All right. Leroy from Need Energy, great to have you on.
Thanks.